This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We, we were talking a little bit about death earlier. And death is something that we all have to deal with, right? They say the only two things that are guaranteed in life are death and taxes, and certainly true of death. We, most people throughout history have died. That's a fact. The cemeteries are filled with dead people. You know, there's a wonderful book by uh, Malachi McCourt, who we're overdue to have on the show. I've got to reach out to him again because he's just such a great guy. And uh, he might be the only person that has survived hospice longer than Jimmy Carter. But um, it's uh, it's called Death Need Not Be Fatal. Wonderful guy. i got to reach out to him. He's still on the radio on the weekend, but uh, moves a little slowly these days. So... We have seen some pretty wild applications for generative AI. But talking to the dead might take the cake. There's this whole new category of technology, AI technology, that they call grief tech. Grief tech is here. And with it, there are some chatbots that connect users to their departed loved ones. As I tell you the details about what we know here, I want you to think to yourself, if you had a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a friend that died, would you want to be able to keep talking with a digital version of them, either via text message or by voice? Think about that. Grief tech startups are creating what they call, they're powered by AI, ghost bots to help people dealing with grief and loss. Here are a couple. Replica, with a K. Replica lets users create an AI companion who cares, promising chats, video calls, and coaching sessions on its site. With Hereafter AI, Users record answers to interview questions and upload photos while they're still alive, leaving behind a virtual version of themselves. You know, I'm doing a lot of content every week, 20 hours at least, usually more. Wouldn't it be great if um, after I died, they could just 
keep doing this radio show, right? Just mix and match my words to whatever the news of the day is. Story file also needs to be pre-planned. That's where users can record videos of themselves that are turned into AI-powered interactive conversations for loved ones. And after putting inputting basic information, users can chat with the departed via Seance AI's Ghostbot. I've talked about that before. And you only virtual, that's what it's called. You only virtual is an AI communications platform that lets users create a persona so that they can continue their unique relationships virtually after death. So like with a lot of AI products, grief tech is not without its risks. One recent study points to the ethical issues around these sort of applications, including lack of consent from the deceased. What do I always say when I die? There's one thing that I've been very consistent about. I've told everybody I know, and I've told all of you who listen to this show, I've said, when I die, please don't ever say, You know, if Frank were here, he'd really blank. Don't. Don't. You have no idea what my view would be if I were really there. Oh, Frank would really like this. No. Do not assume that I would really like anything or dislike anything. Unless I have made express wishes of what I would like, do not say, well, you know, if we did this... uh, I don't know, a charity drive in his honor, he would really like that. No, don't assume it, unless I've stated it. So there are a lot of ethical issues. Lack of consent from the deceased. The risks of psychological dependency for users. Harmful or biased language. And there have already been ethical debates around these deep fakes of the departed. We've heard that from the Robin Williams family. They don't like uh, a lot of these fake Robin Williams that are out there. Some states are even mandating regulations for postmortem publicity rights. Those are mostly focused for celebrities, though. But grief tech is part of a larger trend of using technology to cope with loss. In recent years, death care startups have started to emerge to offer support and creative solutions to people dealing with death. There's um, a couple of startups. One is called Parting Stone, and the other is called Eterneva. Eterneva. It turns ashes into stones and diamonds. Recompose transforms human remains into soil through a process called natural organic reduction. Uh, I think that's a totally separate thing than the AI discussion. My wife has actually said she wants to do that. And the state that we live in just legalized that recently. Berlin has a company called Tomorrow Bio that is attempting to mainstream cryopreservation. I am so interested in cryopreservation. I've tried to get some people uh, on who are experts in the field to talk about it. And one guy who is one of the most sought-after experts on this, he agreed to come on, and then he backed out. And I haven't had any luck getting someone else on who's a proponent of this, which leads me to think that maybe there's a little bit of a scam to it. You know, again, I don't consider myself um, 
a bombastic interviewer by any stretch. I think I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of an easy interviewer. I mean, I think I ask challenging questions, but I don't interrupt anybody. I don't try to call anybody out on their answers. I don't argue with you. I let you say whatever you want. Um, but I think maybe if there's any reluctance about answering a challenging question, maybe that's a warning sign. Because initially I was thinking of taking out another life insurance policy on myself. And, you know, again, I have one that's going, I have two actually, one term and one uh, whole, I think. Uh, I don't remember what I have. I think I have two. But um, those go to my wife and my son. But I was thinking about taking out another life insurance policy that would just pay for me to be cryogenically frozen because it is expensive. So I looked into this and because I'm intrigued about maybe coming back 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now, hanging out with all the robots and the AI cyborgs and being unfrozen. And I looked into it and what most people do to pay for this, most of them aren't millionaires or billionaires. Most of them take out a life insurance policy and they have the life insurance policy pay. But if a virtual avatar of your fe- yourself feels like too much, maybe you put your voice on a vinyl record. Maybe that's more your style, which you can certainly do. I'm curious what you think about this. The rise of grief tech. Would you want to be recorded as an artificial intelligence avatar so that people can continue to interact with you 800-848-9222 if someone you know has already passed on would you want to be um would you want to interact with them through some sort of ai device 800-848-9222 here's where i draw the line right i I think if you're recording something if, if it's stuff that you've actually said on video or on audio and people can press a button and hear you tell that story or hear you answer that question, I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. And I, I've thought about doing that for myself. In fact, you know, I, I write my son emails all the time and I often think to myself, well, what if I die today? Will this email answer any questions that he might have about this stage in his life, this stage in my life? And Jarrell did that. You remember Jarrell, Superman's father? Superman, you know, his real name was Kalel. Kalel's planet was doomed. So when Superman or Kalel was a baby, his parents shot him out into space, knowing that he would end up on this planet with the yellow sun. And Jarrell set up all these crystals. And Superman, when he was a little older, could press these crystals. And even though Jarrell had been gone for many, many years, he could interact with him. So, uh, for instance, this is Marlon Brando as Jarrell in uh, one of the Superman movies. I think it's Superman, the first one. By the way, at that time that Marlon Brando played Jarrell, this was one of the highest paydays for any actor in history. But uh, here's Jarrell posthumously speaking with his son. You do not remember me. I am Jorel. I am your father. By now you will have reached your 18th year as it is measured on earth. By that reckoning, 
I will have been dead for many thousands of your years. The knowledge that I have matters physical and historic. I have given you fully on your voyage to your new home. These are important matters, to be sure, but still matters of mere fact. There are questions to be asked, and it is time for you to do so. Here in this, this fortress of solitude, we shall try to find the answers together. So I thought that was really cool that Jarrell did that. Superman could go there, he could ask a question, and if it was something that Jarrell had already recorded before he died, the answer's there. And that's kind of the idea behind either Hereafter AI or Storyfile. So, and you know who's into Storyfile? You know, the first person that I heard um, talk about Storyfile was William Shatner. And we've had a, a couple of conversations about it on radio. We had a couple of conversations about it when I interviewed him in the uh, live stage show in New Jersey. And we had a couple of private conversations about it. I think it's really interesting. And he spent a lot of time talking about it. And, uh, in fact, here's one of the discussions that we had about it on the radio. I don't know if he uses the term story file here, but he describes the process that he went went through. Are you really going to be a hologram after you pass away? Well, I'm... So involved in futuristic things, it's been not something I would have chosen 60 years ago, but over the years, because of uh, uh, of uh, uh, interviews like this, where people talk about what is the future and what and what, uh, thinking I know, uh, I've I've had a deep interest in futuristic ideas, and one of the ideas that came to me. Uh, a couple of years ago that that, that uh, uh, somebody came to me with was a hologram and artificial intelligence and the technology of being able to allow the viewer to ask the question and then the artificial intelligence element answering that question. So I sat down in front of, oh, I don't know, 15 cameras taking a uh, holographic picture of me uh, I sat for five days and answered questions as fully as I could, and out of that came uh, a, uh, a uh, well, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a, re- a recording of uh, every imaginable question and every imaginable answer, so that now and in the future, somebody will be able to sit down in front of my image and ask me a question and presumably I'll have a decent answer to that question. And what struck me uh, hugely was if that technology had been around at the time of, oh, I don't know, Einstein? How about Beethoven? How about Plato? If you could sit down in front of an image of the great men of history and ask them a question pertaining to anything, pertaining to when they went to the bathroom, or how did they get the idea for their philosophy? What an extraordinary uh, experience it would be for you. So I joined that company called um, um, Storyfile, and that's the company that's doing that. And think of the uses uh, that you could put that to. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. That was the first that I'd heard of it. 
Now you hear about it everywhere. And the trend only appears to be growing. So that's where I draw the line. I think if it's stuff that you're doing, like Shatner's describing, where you intentionally record stuff for, or like Jarrell did, for people to review after you pass on, I think that's great. But if someone, an artificial intelligence, is going to simulate what they think your answers would be to questions, that to me is not a bit different. It's very different. I think it's great if they're, if it's a recording. I think it's not so great if it's a composition of something new after you've passed on. Uh, and I also think, you know, for these other technologies that, uh, that create avatars of people that have passed on, I don't know that that's healthy for the grieving process. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to look at photos and videos and remember people that have passed on. But thinking that they're still there, I don't know that that's healthy. 800-848-9222. Curious what you think. Uh, let me begin with Al in New York City. Hello, Al. Good morning, Mr. Moran. A great show, as always. Thank you. Uh, as far as, yeah, you're welcome. As far as this, um, I thought about this many, many years ago. Um, I had uh, I had lost two sisters to cancer and very sad. And one of them, um, I told her, I said, listen, um, uh, she had a son. And I said, he's very young still, but I want you to fill out all these cards because we know what's coming. I had cancer myself at that time, and it was it didn't look good for me. Mm. And I told her, fill out every possible thing that may come down the pipe. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh, his wedding day, uh, you know, graduating college and everything. And then I said, and try as many uh, talking to, you know, the same thing. The technology has always been there. It just has taken time to develop. You can actually have a, a, a gravestone, and it can sense that you're there, okay? And um, uh, every, any kind of question you could say, it, it would actually greet you as you come. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming by, you know? And um, without a doubt, it's a comfort to people. People... You know, let's face it, after your health, all that really counts is family and um, friends. You know what I mean? Because all the money you make in the world, it's just green paper. And when you get in that wooden um, kimono, guess what? You've got room for your iPad. And, that you know, that's about it, you know. Uh, so, and as far as that lady that was uh, the psychic, uh, I don't know about her. Uh, I think she's off by your, your age, a uh, good 20 years. I think she's talking about a family member named George. I think it's a departed uh, friend. And I think you'll have another child maybe around Halloween next year, you know, around that time. That's just my crazy guesses. Uh, thank you, Al. Uh, Brandon is in New Jersey. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Frank. Hey, don't get uh, cryogenically frozen. Wouldn't you rather be in a cemetery? I mean, people are just dying to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one coming from a mile away. It was still good, though. <laughs> My favorite dad joke. Hey, um, yeah, I don't really care what people do with me after I die. I mean, like, let them have it. But, you know, for me to use somebody else as an AI, um, you know, I, there's no soul in it. I, I really don't see the point. I mean, I guess it could provide some comfort to, to people, but I agree. I think it's kind of a dangerous road to go down. Yeah, I I, uh, I think we're on the same page, Brandon. I um, 
now I never knew uh, my my uh, grandfather, my my uh, paternal grandfather, and I'd be very curious what he sounded like, what his mannerisms were. I would love to see a an you know a, a video of him answering questions that I might have, but I would recognize that it was just a video, that it's not really him. That's what I I kind of wonder about the 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 line between memorializing someone versus. Uh, not knowing that they're dead. Yeah, no, that's that's true. It's the same for me on my uh, my maternal um, side. I never knew my grandfather, so that is an interesting point. I mean, um, yeah, something to think about. Indeed, thanks, Brandon. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me mention this before we run out of time, and we're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade in about five minutes. Elon Musk did this event with uh, Aaron Ross, Ross Sorkin yesterday for the Deal Book Summit. And apparently it was a who's who of uh, people that were there. And they addressed all of these advertisers that are pulling their ads from X, or, you know, I still call it Twitter. Here's Elon Musk talking with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin. But there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. This had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. But go f*** yourself. <laughs> is that clear? I hope it is. He then added later... Uh, by the way, can I just say, that's the nice thing about being a billionaire. You know, I- I've never been, as my bank account and my wife will both attest, I've never been into making money, right? Um, but that's why you try to earn a lot of money. So that you can basically say, go to hell, everybody. If you're a billionaire, you don't have to worry about somebody taking your house away or um, not being able to pay your bills, you're still a billionaire, right? It doesn't matter if everybody in the world boycotts you, you're still okay. It reminds me of that uh, famous scene in Citizen Kane where Charles Foster Kane takes over a newspaper, again, played by Orson Welles, takes over a newspaper, The Inquirer, and they're losing money. Yes, yes, and yes. Would money be too and property. Bad. Well, I happened to see your financial statement today, Charles. Oh, did you? Now, tell me honestly, my boy. Don't you think it's rather unwise to continue this philanthropic enterprise, this inquirer that's costing you a million dollars a year? You're right, Mr. Thatcher. I did lose a million dollars last year. I expect to lose a million dollars this year. I expect to lose a million dollars next year. You know, Mr. Thatcher, at the rate of a million dollars a year, I'll have to close this place in 60 years. Uh, First of all, it's a great picture, one of my favorites, but it's so true. You know, if you don't care about losing the money, then you don't care about losing the money. But um, Musk did say that uh, these people are going to uh, basically destroy the company. That's what he said. So what, what this advertising boycott is going to do is it's going to kill the company. So um, this has to do with the allegations of anti-Semitism, not only his own anti-Semitism, but, but uh, him allowing others to post anti-Semitic content. At least that was the accusation from groups like Media Matters, which we've uh, we've touched upon before. But Musk said he had posted to make absolutely clear that he's not anti-Semitic. And he said that, if anything, he's philo-Semitic. 
pressed about how advertisers are perceiving X. That's when Musk used the F word repeatedly. And then he was talking to Bob Iger, who pulled all the Disney advertising, and he said, hey, Bob, um, which, you know, obviously was not an uncertain identification of who he meant, and he made clear that that's who he was talking to. He said he he felt that uh, that Disney felt like the association had become not a positive one, though he also said that Disney entities can use X as a platform to communicate. So after the exchange over Musk's posts, um, the conversation turned towards what motivates Elon Musk, which is something I've always wondered about. And he talked about his difficult childhood and his hopes for the future, including interplanetary civilization. Very interesting. They got into the AI thing as well. And uh, the recent turmoil at OpenAI, which I still think is one of the strangest stories in the technology world and in the business community, with Sam Altman briefly ousted by the board only to return a few days later. And Musk said either it was a serious thing and we should know what it is or it was not a serious thing. So yeah, we'll see where it goes. But uh, Elon Musk is certainly a fascinating guy. And like I said, when you're a billionaire, you can tell the advertisers that don't like you, go F yourself. William is in Manhattan. Hi, William. Yes, intelligence is just a mockery of uh, reality. So, so William, uh, you, you, I, I didn't hear what you said. There was a, a tone that obstructed what you said. Repeat your sentence, please. Artificial intelligence is a mockery of reality. It can never be duplicated ever in life. I mean, I know my great-grandfather would never want me to bring him back for the dead. He'll come out of the graveyard and slap the living hell out of me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a comedian, but that's not a joke. He I, really was like, hey, why are you bothering me? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Would you ever consider, uh, a, you know, doing what we're talking about here with StoryFile and taking video so that you can be brought back as a hologram and answer questions that people have? I would agree with that. That's that's pretty much down to earth. I like that. But the other one, no, that was kind of crazy. I like the hologram part in the Superman. Yeah. All right, yeah thanks, <laughs> William. Appreciate it. Novi is in Tribeca. Hello, Novi. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think that you're going to go independent so that you have your own schedule and you have your you choose your own people on your own independent station um and i i i think that you don't realize that you are uh, so important to what's going on actually in our world today um i would like to say i start out by saying a voice of humanity could always be stopped in a past histories it can't be stopped in this one okay and and that there's a quarter of the rich and powerful that are are corrupt, but the the other the rest of uh, you know the three quarters are good people who want to pause and who want to contribute to the beneficiary of humanity. All right, and, uh, Frank. Uh, thank you, Frank. I have to end it there. I appreciate it. But uh, Brian Kilmeade will join us in a moment to go through the news of the day. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Look at this photograph. Every time I do, it makes me laugh. How did our eyes get so red? And what the hell is on Joey's said? This is where I grew up. I think the president ought to fix it up. I never knew he ever went without. The second floor is hot for sneaking out. And this is where I went to school. Most of the time, I had better things to do. Criminal record says I've broken twice. I must have done it half a dozen times. I wonder if it's too late. Should I go back and try to graduate? This is Nickelback. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on uh, this program, just join our Facebook group. Uh, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. I have hated not being able to talk with Brian Kilmeade for two weeks. Uh, last week he had some holiday that he was celebrating. I don't know. It must be a very unique kind of niche holiday. Uh, the week before, he was uh, out there in the state of Tennessee, and uh, in spite of the fact that we've been having him on for two years, we were unable to locate his phone number, but I am thrilled that we have been reunited. Very pleased to welcome back to the program New York Times best-selling author, co-host of Fox & Friends, a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, and a man whose book, Teddy and Booker T, is not only educating a lot of people, but it is tearing up the, the charts. Brian, it's great to talk to you again. Hey, thanks so much. And uh, the first time I was able to talk about it in public, you were there uh, in Atlantic City with the great Harry Hurley. So uh, going out, doing a whole bunch of events last night in New Jersey, uh, talking about uh, Tay Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington. Th- uh, three straight weeks on the list. So well, con- hang- hanging in there. Congratulations. By the way, also, uh, not to you know be a downer, but I want to um, you know tell you I'm sorry. I know that your uh, dog passed away recently, and I know how much of a dog person you are. I hope you guys are doing okay. Yes, yeah, uh, pretty sudden. Thanks. Uh, eight-year-old Great Pyrenees. He's got a brother. Uh, they were inseparable, so I think it's starting to sink in that his uh, brother's not coming home, uh, and he happens to be deaf. Oh. So, so it's uh, we're more worried about his brother right now. But thank you. Yeah, that's rough. Um, l- let me also ask you about a very high-profile person that passed away. Uh, Henry Kissinger uh, passed away at a hundred. You've been uh, pretty integrally involved in uh, commenting and covering uh, national security and foreign policy issues for over the last couple of decades. I-, I am certain that you've had some occasion to interact with Henry Kissinger over the years. Just house- at the House Smith dinner, the most recent time, I went up and talked to him before his speech. And it was a little overmodulated, but he wrote it all at 100 years old. He was the keynote speaker at this famous event that everybody knows uh, hosts and raises a ton of money. 
and I was able to sit on the dais, and he was diagonally in front of me. And my history with him, my first book, The Games Do Count, I put him in it because he, uh, because of his days in soccer. He says during his time in uh, as the emergence of Nazi Germany, he used to play in the soccer team. One day he shows up, and they said, okay, the Jews play on one team, everybody else plays on the other. And they saw how brutal it got, and he, that was the beginning of him realizing uh, as a family that they had to get out of there. And he was the biggest advocate for soccer from when it merged in the 70s, when it died out in the 90s, when it came ripping back. When we got the World Cup in 94, That was um, it was almost all Kissinger. He was using all his diplomatic skills to wow. try to bring the game here, and that's the reason there's an MLS today. Uh, because without that money from the World Cup, there wouldn't have been a foundational money. And then you have all these other leagues that have cropped up around it. So that's one thing we always had in common. We always talk soccer. That's wild. I guarantee you're the only person anybody's going to hear on the radio today um, talking about Henry Kissinger in a soccer context. That's wild. I knew you would have an interesting story. Um, let me ask you about the presidential race. Obviously, it seems like a lot of the stop Trump at any cost folks within the donor class and among the rank and file Republicans, it seems like they're all lining up behind Nikki Haley. Uh, recently, just this week, they were endorsed by the Koch Brothers Network, American for Prosperity Action. What does that do for her? Do you think, um, I mean, it doesn't seem like she was hurting for money to begin with. Does this add a little bit of organizational heft to her campaign? And is it going to make any difference? Yes. Uh, I you know, listen, she's, she's doing uh, things right. She's trailing Trump significantly. I get it. But she's, but she's ticking up. And we've been over this, Frank, almost from day one when, when Trump made it clear he's going to run. How do you run against him as a Republican, let alone a Democrat? So first, how do you run against him and not alienate the people that vote for him? Is it possible? Well, DeSantis, I'm not, I'm not saying he's out tonight. There's a huge debate. I think huge upside, huge downside for him, for his future. We could be looking at this debate in four years, Newsom against DeSantis. Who knows? Circumstances have to fall into place. But... DeSantis was out, thought uh, Trump was more vulnerable. These court cases have uh, bolstered Trump in a way that nobody thought possible. But the first thing you do, if if, um, Brian Kilmeade's running against Frank Morano, I sit there on a daily basis and talk about how much better I am than you, and you do the same to me. You can't do that to Trump. And she realized that first. He did a great job in 2016. He was the right person then. I'm the right person now. Because she knows. I don't care what you think. Insulting Trump, you're telling his voters to not vote for you. And you got to figure out a way. So what she does now is go after DeSantis. She's trying to clear the field in order to see if she could close the gap. And she's going to pick her spots. And when it's finally time, if she gets a debate, that's when I think that she says, great job, but I could do it better. And here's where I'm better. And we'll try to work around the edges. And now money will not be a problem to get the message out. Having said all that, you know, Trump's a, Trump's a force of nature. He does not need the Koch brothers. He never had the Koch brothers. They've always been against him. And he's not, I don't think he's worried about that. Yeah, I, I think I think your read on the situation is pretty uh, pretty right on the money. Now, let's say uh, Nikki Haley does better than expected in Iowa. Let's say she either wins, which would be a major upset, or she has a, a strong second-place finish. Uh, the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, who was talking about running himself, 
he is saying that he's going to endorse either Haley, DeSantis, maybe yeah. even Christie. Um, is Sununu popular enough? And I asked you because you've spent a fair amount of time in New Hampshire. Is Sununu popular enough in New Hampshire that he could provide a jolt in the arm or a shot in the arm for Haley's campaign up there? Yeah, I mean, d- during the, the right before the pandemic in 2019, I did one of those days in the life and he just was just randomly going into supermarkets and we were going into voting booths. It was the day of the vote of the primary, just jumping in. He had no idea if, you know, people are pretty polite in New Hampshire, but he had no idea if he was going to walk into headwinds. But the people loved him and he's got a lot of energy. I will say that I think they did some polls and Trump beat him pretty soundly in his own state. But having said that, I think it would make a difference. I think there's only 1.4 million people in New Hampshire. So if you have momentum coming out of Iowa, if you shock in Iowa and upset Trump and you're close in New Hampshire, you have the governor's endorsement, plenty of money. And then you go into New Hampshire. If Nikki Haley's to do well or DeSantis does really well, it really make a difference. But I don't think it's the deciding factor. Uh, moving to the general election, I, I think personally it's a big question mark, even still at this point, whether Biden is still going to be on the ballot. But let's let's presume that uh, that Biden is still in the race. He has developed over the course of the last month uh, and a half a huge problem with Arab voters and Muslim voters. Uh, we're seeing polling for what it's worth that uh, even from the Arab American Institute, they say that about 59% of Arab American voters supported Biden in 2020. They say their polling indicates that percentage has dropped dramatically in recent weeks. If you look at Michigan, where we're on the air now on uh, AM 910, the superstation, Biden won by 154,000 votes. The Arab population in Michigan is 278,000. In Arizona, Biden won by 10,500 votes. The Arab population there is 55,000. In Georgia, where Biden won by 11,800, the Arab population is at least 57,000. Ironically, could it be the Arab vote that keeps Biden from a second term? Right. Uh the only thing I would say is you're probably not going to like Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis if you don't like Biden's policies because they would all be more pro-Israel and tougher on Hamas because they wouldn't be equivocating right now. So right now you have President Biden trying to have it both ways. He's saying, guys, uh, let's just call it a day. Let's just call it a war. And that's basically what he's saying now. Hey, let's just hope the peace lasts, as if the big picture is Hamas can exist and this is not going to happen in eight months. So if the Arab votes out there and says I'm, they'll probably stay home, but I don't see them running to the Republican no. if that's the reason they're disappointed in them. Do yeah, you agree? hundred percent. I mean, again, you, you uh, your, your analysis is generally uh, more astute when it comes to this stuff than, than mine is. But I would think if, um, you know, if some of them stay home, some of them vote for Jill Stein or Cornell West – that becomes uh, the problem for for Biden. I, I don't see uh, Trump winning in a lot of uh, a lot of voters or whoever the Republican nominee happens to be. You alluded to the um, Newsom DeSantis debate uh, tonight on uh, on Fox News, which is really going to be something. And kudos to Hannity and to Fox for being able to pull this off. Uh, I really think this is fascinating to watch from a Democratic perspective. If you're Kamala Harris and you're hoping that you're the next Democratic president or the next Democratic nominee, 
don't you have to be a little perturbed that the person who's front and center and is going to be talked about as the future of the Democratic Party is someone from your home state that's not you? Yeah, I I think that's a good that's a good point. I mean, um, yeah, I think that that's got to it's got to be somewhat upsetting. I mean, for for tonight in particular, I think both these guys are auditioning for if not twenty four twenty eight. They want to be relevant. If DeSantis is going to lose, he's got to lose in a way that makes him look viable for the future. If he gets crushed, you know, you saw how quick Youngkin's stock dropped. That was a off year election. So if they go, if he goes and gets crushed in uh, the caucus, the debate, if he gets crushed tonight in the debate, if he loses the caucus and then stays around for the primary, DeSantis's political career is done. But if he is strong in Iowa, respectable in New Hampshire, crushes Gavin Newsom, last to South Carolina, and exits gracefully, his his presidential hopes go on pause. Uh, his career doesn't go south. So that's the risk of running in 24, you know, and with the way he ran, getting in late and, and taking all that, all the pounding from Trump alienated him. For Gavin Newsom, he looks the part, but he's a terrible governor, was an awful mayor. Uh, he has great poise, but he he's an inch deep. I was talking to a governor we both know who didn't have me permission to raise this uh, story, but he said that they had a casual lunch. Everyone's talking about Gavin Newsom, that he's an up-and-coming political star. He had no interest in policy. All he cared about was offices. No interest in solving problems. All he cared about was power. And he said, wait a second, you know, this is off the record. There are no cameras here. What is, what is your plan? Now, oh, let's just, you know, let's talk about green technology. Let's just talk about getting rid of, well, well how are you going to do that? How many jobs are you going to lose? What's going to happen if you do raise taxes? And he just could not go deep. My hope is DeSantis comes out tonight and he did his opposition research. So and also did it on himself and said, "Okay, what is my vulnerability? What is a common Democratic refrain? Why do people get mad at me in my state? You know, whether it's uh, don't say gay bill, which never said it, but they tried to label him banning books, which is not what he did. Get sexually explicit books out of uh, grade schools It's not banning books, but. Um, it was labeled ineffectively. So when they go after me, what is my answer? If he pre- if he prepares, DeSantis could look great because it's to me, Frank, it's so much easier debating someone who disagrees with you on just about everything as opposed to getting sure. on a stage and looking to my left and right and saying, you guys kind of agree with me on 85 <laughs> percent. Right. You're How for, do I separate myself yeah, from you? You're for a 12 week abortion ban. I'm for a 15 week abortion ban. Yeah. How much uh, how much bandwidth is there? That's a, that's a great point. Um, the other big story going on in Washington these days is the likely forthcoming expulsion of George Santos, the new speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, says he's got some reservations about expelling Santos. Uh, I'll say this. We had a, uh, a Republican conference meeting in the last hour. Um, there were opinions shared on, on both sides. I'll answer it this way, Monday. Listen, I said that the Republican Party is the rule of law team, and we are. We believe in the rule of law. There are people of good faith who make an argument, both pro and con, for the expulsion of uh, resolution for Santos. There are people who say you have to uphold the rule of law and allow for someone to be convicted in a criminal court uh, before this, um, this, this, this tough penalty would be exacted on someone. That's been the precedent so far. There are others who say, well, upholding the rule of law uh, requires us to take this step now because some of the things that he's alleged to have done, uh, the House Ethics Committee having done their job, uh, are infractions against the House itself. 
And so what we've said as a leadership team is we're going to allow people to vote their conscience. I think it's the only appropriate thing we can do. Um, we've not whipped the vote, and we wouldn't. Um, I, I trust that people will make that decision thoughtfully and in good faith. Um, I personally have real reservations about doing this. I, I'm, I'm concerned about a precedent that may be set for that. Um, so we're, everybody's working through that, and we'll see how they vote tomorrow. But what do you make of that, Brian? What do you think should happen, and do you have any prediction as to what will happen? I mean, the range. I It's been a while since I looked at his record, but the range of uh... – of uh, uh, illogical, unethical moves that he has made just uh, b- are mind-bending. But you got a year left, less than a year left. There's an election. They only have a three. What you, your goal to shrink a, to shrink a four vote margin to a three at this point? I, I kind of like what Johnson's doing. Put it mm. up to a vote. If Republicans who have had a chance to evaluate this poll test this. Want to get rid of him? They'll vote him out. You know, every Democrat will vote to vote him out. But what he's trying to say in the in the long run, well, where's the threshold? Uh, all of a sudden, there's a, a congressman who everyone dislikes. Let's say like Jamie Raskin on the right. If they have a, a couple of uh, uh, ethic violations there, let's put it up for a vote. Let's get rid of him. So I think that's what he's trying to say. Plus, Kevin McCarthy has said it. He goes, I, re- I can't really afford to lose a vote. And Johnson looks around and goes, I really can't afford to lose a vote. Why don't we just – who is it hurting to fill, fill out the year? In New York, they wanted to get rid of him right away. You know what they did here, Frank. Mm-hmm. They voted right away to toss him out in Nassau County in real time. You know, I, I did a signing last night in New Jersey, and one of the questions was, how did this guy get through? And the thing is, is because we usually have opponents that take care of the other opponent. Right. So if this guy – if you're running against this Congressman Santos, if you want that job in a very tight race – you usually Google them, you know, can, can say, hey, by the way, we got a million staffers here. Just go into his background. See if there's anything. I don't know. By using campaign funds to help out his sister, by lying about everything he accomplished, by uh, going to uh, uh, cross-dressing raves in Brazil. These are a little bit of vulnerabilities that would have been great for someone running against him. So that's usually a self-regulating situation. If I want that seat, I'm going to find out everything about uh, my opponent. This didn't happen this time. It was a small newspaper that was picked up by a major newspaper that quickly blew this open and found out he's a total fraud. So I would I'd probably let it if I'm I'm just being practical. I'm, I'm the speaker's doing the right thing. Put it up for a vote. But if I'm him, I'm secretly hoping that that Santos stays in. I need his vote till the end. Uh, Brian, you had a terrific interview, speaking of Kevin McCarthy, with Kevin McCarthy uh, this week. A lot of speculation about whether he's going to run for re-election next year or not. What do you think? Well, I know he's raising money this year. Um, I I do believe he's going to run, and I do believe that if a Republican wins, which is likely, you'd be crazy not to put him in. He can move through Congress, move legislation through, his knowledge of foreign policy is off the charts. His contacts overseas are uh, are as good as anybody in Washington. So he's one of these guys with so many contacts, he just gets things done. So if you have a piece of legislation, you want to do tax reform, it's great to have Mark Short. It's better to have Kevin McCarthy. Mm. So uh, I think that, that, that he's probably waiting to see. I think he declares. I think he's probably waiting to see if a Republican wins and he'll t- – Go into another seat of power because clearly he's in the prime of his life. He is not looking to retire. 
Brian, uh, the book that I have absolutely recommended to many people as a terrific stocking stuffer, Teddy and Booker T, is uh, flying off the shelves. And uh, people can still uh, check it out and get a signed copy by going to briankilmead.com. Hope uh, you're enjoying meeting all the folks, talking to them about the book. If there's one thing that I've seen with you, it's uh, that you have a gift for storytelling, whether it's verbal, on the printed page, or on television. And uh, that's certainly been on display with this book tour. So uh, continued good luck. Thanks so much. And I didn't know you were on in Michigan, but I'm going to be there December 16th uh, in Holland, Michigan, at the Holland Civic Center. So doing the whole show, talking about all the books, patriotic, motivational, inspirational. Terrific. So if everyone wants to go, I hope you uh, just click on uh, click on tickets and hope to meet you in person. That that would be uh, absolutely a great opportunity for people. Check them out, briankilmead.com. Thanks, Brian. Best of luck. Okay, and we are going to do that Christmas lunch. Um, oh. So uh, I, I got roasted you. I'm at the last one. So I, I, it did, I'm, but that I'm was unintentional. Coming, I'm not coming back this year. Yes, it you was, are. It was a, uh, a a rag on Frank parade at that. Uh, I mean, top to bottom. You Shocking. were the only person that didn't. All right. Um, you, uh, of course, I will be there, and because you were kind okay. enough to pick up the tab last time. Thank you, Brian. That's the only reason. Take Stop. take care. Go get it. Uh, Fifteen seconds of fame in a moment. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We will end this program, as we do each program, by giving you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Steve. John. Here's the thought for the day. The U.S. Constitution gives Congress the power to, to declare war. But what happens if Communist China attacks the U.S. and the Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden says, okay, we surrender? Big Ed. Well, President Biden might have carried a majority of, of uh, Muslims, but he carried an overwhelming majority, close to 100% of comatose people in nursing homes. Frankie. If the great Bob Grant were alive... He would have called upon the Hard Hat Brigade last night to tune up those miscreants who showed up at the Christmas tree lighting ceremony. Get in, Kifa! And, and punch their noses down. And in. finally, Roger. I understand that the area that we're calling uh, Palestine is actually originally Judea. Uh, Frank Morano, good day.